Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of WeRC.com's Inside the Trojans Huddle, where we tell it like it is. Friends, Inside the Trojans Huddle is a game-like panel discussion that is posted each Tuesday during the season. The regular uh, huddle features WeRC columnists, staff writers, and historians. We first start off with the pregame show where we introduce our panel members for this edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle. Let's meet Tuesday's all-star panel. The editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com, columnist, national recruiting guru, producer, and moderator of WeRSC's Four Downs and Five Things video shows. He's a graduate of USC. That's Eric McKenney, a former William Jewell College defensive back and WeRSC columnist who writes the popular WeRSC.com uh, column Musings with Arledge and Musings with Arledge solo edition, uh, a graduate of USC Law School, Chris Arledge. And a weekly WeRSC columnist who writes Fridays, the obvious, not so obvious, IMHO Sunday, WeRSC.com travel guide, and an active member of the Football Writers Association of America, your moderator and producer of Inside the Trojans Huddle, Greg Katz. Folks, if you enjoy WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojans Huddle, we thank you and strongly encourage those of you watching on sites like YouTube to click on the like and red subscriber buttons. It's greatly valued appreciated, and it is free. You can also listen to Inside the Trojan Subtle on most available podcast sites. And friends, speaking of WeRSC.com, we're offering first-time subscribers unlimited premium access for just $1 for one month. If you're not already a full-time premium subscriber, you won't want to miss the USC football website that really does, again, tell it like it is. All right, panel, let's kick off the first quarter of Inside the Trojans Huddle by immediately taking a look at number five USC's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, we're not number five any longer, number eight USC's Saturday night's Pac-12 opponent, the Arizona State Sun Devils and Tepe. Uh, let's, let's take a look at it. Uh, as we look at it right now, it looks as though the Trojans have a lot of issues, but maybe they don't. Eric, let's start off with you. Uh, what was your overall take on uh, the game on Saturday night? Uh, it was a sloppy, disjointed win where USC's offense was frustrating for the entire game. And still, it's it's good enough to where it can sort of trip and fall over itself and score 42 points against, again, Arizona State came into that thing hurting on the offensive line. It was losing. It, it was without a ton of players at a few different spots. That that defense is okay. It's okay. It's the best defense that USC has seen this year. Uh, the crowd was fired up. It was a chance for Arizona State to kind of play loose, hair on fire. Like it, Arizona State had had everything going for it in terms of the setting, the timing, all of that. USC had that early buy, and USC wins by 14 points. It was incredibly unsatisfying, I think, if, if you're a USC fan watching that, because you knew that they had a chance with the bye week rested up, going out there, a chance to make a statement on the road. And they had talked a lot about elite teams play well on the road. They win road games. That's how they separate from the you go from good to great. Uh we're going to limit the penalties. Tackling is better. Those three things that they showed up so specifically in this one, I think is kind of where 
the disappointment for me starts from. So I think you've got some stuff. The way Lincoln Riley talks about each game as being part of the climb to the whole season, you learned a lot about how far you need to go in this one. The rough thing is that, that you're running out of the opportunities to play like this and stay undefeated. I think that you've got one more at Colorado. I, I think we're kind of all in agreement that there's there there will be something that they give USC going back home, but that's not a great team. But even the home game against Arizona, I think is is one of those things where you gotta you gotta be buttoned up a little bit more than Arizona State. So in that one game against Arizona State, you overcame a lot of issues that can give teams problems. First road game, things aren't really going well. You have the crowd, all of that stuff. So it's it's one of those. Good job, you got the win. Get out of there. You better learn from that, and you better grow really quickly. And it feels like we're saying that a lot without seeing it in that game. That was a chance for USC to, to really say, look how good we are. We went on the road, blew out a team that that we were, again, what was the spread, 30 points or something going into it. So a missed opportunity for sure. But in college football, all you want to do is keep yourself undefeated for as long as possible. And I, I guess you, you have to say it's successful there. I think we're about to get into a lot of the issues, though, that, that we all saw in that one. Well, I know that Chris Arlish has definitely got some thoughts about this. And uh, if you didn't get a chance to read Chris's um, well-done musings with Arlich, I would highly recommend that you read it. But we're fortunate that if you haven't read it, I'm sure Chris is going to go over it. So, Chris, uh, your overall thoughts and take it wherever you want. I hated the game. It felt like a Clay Helton game where USC is sloppy with the ball, sloppy with penalties, not ready to play undisciplined um half the time look like they don't really care to be there and they find a way to squeak out uh, a win against a team that has a fraction of their talent right that that was the story in about 80 percent of clay helton's wins and that's what it felt like uh being that i don't want to return to those days i didn't enjoy returning to it on saturday night i especially hate it that i'm watching the game on central time i have to stay up till 1 30 to watch that nonsense I at least figured that in this game, by 1230, even if I'm nodding off, the game is uh, is well in hand, but it wasn't. Look, I think there are a couple of things. One is USC has some USC has some problems that we should talk about. But two, I think it's too early to panic. Uh, let's start with one of the it's too early to panic reasons. Road games are different. They are. And there are a lot of teams that struggle in the road, even good teams. Um Oregon looked fantastic this week. I think a lot of people probably think that Oregon is, with Washington, the best team in the conference right now. Don't forget, Oregon barely escaped from Texas Tech with a win. Barely. I mean, Texas Tech had them. Texas Tech is a terrible football team. They've lost to Wyoming and West Virginia. Their only win was against Tarleton State. All right? But they survived. That's what you have to do on the road. Utah barely survived on the road against Baylor. Baylor lost at home to Texas State and gave up 42 points in the process. Baylor is at, Baylor was not even competitive at any point against Texas this past week. Baylor's a really bad football team. Utah barely escaped with a win, but they escaped. Uh, 
Florida State almost lost to a horrible Boston College team on the road. I watched Alabama a couple weeks ago tied three to three at South Florida late in the third quarter. It's not unusual to have a road game where you're a highly ranked team. You've been reading about how good you are. You know that the team you're playing isn't very good. You get into the game. You are not ready to play. And then all of a sudden things start happening. And all of a sudden the, 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 the fans and the opposing team, they start to get a little bit of confidence. You start to get frustrated and think, right, this happens. And it happens all the time in college football. Every championship team has at least one game like that where they go on the road and they look like garbage and they find a way to pull it out, all right? So USC hasn't lost anything yet. And I, and I don't think we need to panic. All those other teams I talked about are probably going to end up with some pretty good records, and they all got extraordinarily lucky in their recent, in their recent road games. Uh, and, and, and I'll talk in a second um, about, about what I think this means for USC in the Pac-12. But here's the thing. USC does have some problems. USC was not ready to play that football game. Their offense looked like garbage. Caleb Williams wasn't ready to play that football game. He comes out not dressed. He's putting the ball on the carpet when he when he either tries to hand off or tries to fake a handoff to his uh, running back and puts it in his chest. He made some terrible reads. The offense was not ready to play football in that game. Despite that, they put up 535 yards and 42 points because they are so insanely talented that even playing at 60% with a hangover, which is what it looked like, they still managed to score points. I'm not worried about that group. They're going to be fine, and they probably won't show up in that headspace uh, again this year is my guess. Defense has bigger problems. They still can't tackle. And I think there's a huge scheme problem. That's really what I want to focus on. I, I'm, I'm frustrated right now because Alex Grinch puts all of his eggs in a single basket. And that is we need to get penetration from the D-line basket, right? That's his thing. He talks about it all the time. That's the entire focus of the defense. And, and they, they are getting penetration. They have 16, ta they have, uh, 16 sacks and 41 tackles for loss four games in. And they have some guys who can do it. Bear Alexander can do it. Solomon Bird has played fantastic. Um, uh, you've got a couple of uh, of edge rushers right now uh, that, that can get upfield and wreak havoc. They actually are getting in the backfield a lot. Here's the problem. He's so focused on that that he leaves his defensive backs one-on-one. -on -one. So on those plays where you don't get pressure, they're consistently in a position where they have to cover, uh, where they have to cover downfield often without safety help, and they're not good enough to do that right now. But even good corners have trouble doing that. That's a hard thing to do. He consistently expects them to do it, and his scheme causes problems in the run game. Casual football fans assume that a hole is is um, is horizontal, right? Creating space horizontally, but you can have holes that are created vertically. If you have some defensive alignment upfield and some defensive alignment at the line of scrimmage, it creates gaps. And this happens all the time for USC, especially because their edge guys consistently run upfield on running plays. That's why they gave up a touchdown on third and 10 on that, on that possession after Caleb Williams fumbled. They gave up, they gave up a touchdown on a running play on third and 10 because the edge guy ran six yards upfield, standing next to the quarterback instead of playing his position. Now, maybe he's taught to do that. I don't know. 
If he is, they need to stop teaching him to do that. All he had to do was keep his shoulders square as the tackle inside of him blocked down. He shuffles down, takes away the space. And if he does that, they stop that play. Arizona State has to kick a field goal, and it completely changes the nature of that game. But it, this, this sort of thing happens repeatedly with this defense. And, and we hear the coaches talk about run fits, run fits, run fits. Fine. But maybe we should teach our guys that it's that the only critical thing is not whether you can get upfield into the backfield. That is not the only critical thing for a defense. And his infatuation with doing that is causing all kinds of problems. It's true that when you get in the opposing backfield and cause chaos, that that is a problem. But this chaos works both ways. Because there's all kinds of chaos where USC's guys are, some of them are are trying to, some of them are trying to hit the, are, are trying to hit this gap. This guy's running upfield. All of a sudden, there's a huge seam, and teams that don't even have good running games are going for 60 yards, and it happens every week, and it's frustrating. I think the scheme is a problem. I think the discipline is a problem, and it's not getting better. What has gotten better is they have better players up front, and they do right. I mean. Come fourth quarter, they still had a they still had a pass to the running back where he breaks two tackles and goes 52 yards, which was horrible. That was horrible, horrible defense, especially in that situation. But the other four possessions in the last five, USC was all over the quarterback. They caused a couple of turnovers. They're getting sacks, right? And so the defensive line, when they had to turn it up in the fourth quarter, they did. And they have guys now that can do it. But I'm just frustrated with I'm frustrated with the scheme they run. I'm frustrated with the lack of discipline. And if I'm if I'm going to be completely honest here, USC's played four horrible offenses and they have very mediocre defensive stats. And when they get into the heart of the schedule, Caleb Williams and the offense will have to score 45 points a game to beat the good teams on the schedule. I was hoping that that wasn't going to be necessary. It will be necessary. They might do it because they're that good. Right. Every defense they play has to look at that offense and say, OK, every back averages over eight yards per carry. Their fourth receiver is Zachariah Branch, who's probably going to be all pro in six years. Right. I mean, you look at and, and they have and they have a, a generational talent, a quarterback. Every defense that plays them has to look at that offense and say, I don't know what's going to happen. I hope they don't show up to play, because if they do, they're going to score almost every time they get the ball. So. It's not like they can't do it, but man, I really wanted the defense to be reasonably good, hold teams, hold good teams to 26, 28 points so that you could get some comfortable wins, even against the good teams. And it's pretty clear at this point, that's not going to happen. And that frustrates the hell out of me. Well, they say frustration is suppressed anger. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there watching uh, inside the Trojan Settle that would support what you just said. Um, from my perspective was they were not ready to play. They seemed disinterested, unfocused. You know, it all begins with Caleb Williams. He looked like he was unfocused. I saw him sitting on the bench, body language, kind of just like, well, I guess we got to get this out of the way. I mean, I when you see a, a, a messed up mesh point handoff, uh, putting the ball in the guys in, into uh, Lloyd's chest and they fumble and they just look like they were out of it. Now, I'm not going to say the coaches didn't warn them about this, okay? I think any coach in his right mind is going to say, this is your first road game. You've got to be ready to play. So 
I, I, you can only tell players so much. I mean, I've, I've coached for so long that, you know, sometimes you're, you're speaking to the wall and you're saying, well, at least you could go back and say, well, I told you, you didn't listen. So that comes in. And I, my bigger, my bigger issue, I actually, Chris, I thought that you brought up was a good point is the discipline, the discipline of doing what you're supposed to do, doing what you're taught to do. Uh, the fact that they turned it on late in the fourth quarter only indicates to me that they have the ability to do it, right? So the question is, is why don't you do it every play? I've said from the word go, some players like playing sports or football in this case. Some people love it. The guys that love it, they bring it every play, every down, every at bat, everything, everything. And the guys that like it, turn it on when they think this is really important. As you pointed out, they're going to be playing really high-ranked teams uh, in a couple of weeks, and you can't do that against these teams. They're, they can they can put pressure on on you with their own offenses, playing away. I'll hope that this game on Saturday was a kind of deja vu Oregon State moment. <clears throat> the difference between last year and this year, however, is Oregon and Washington are on the schedule. One game is at Oregon. That's a tough one. One is against Washington. That could very well be undefeated if they beat Oregon in the coming weeks up in Seattle. So uh, there's a lot to look at this team. Uh, you know, I was not surprised that they uh, they dropped in the rankings to eight. I mean, you have to look at, uh, at, you know, the reflection of where we are today. I mean, let's face it, this week, Washington's number seven, Oregon's number nine, Utah's number 10, which is amazing to me without Cam rising. Uh, basically, they have no offense. Uh, they, they're doing it all on defense. And Notre Dame, which is probably one or two plays away from being undefeated. But that's kind of the where we're at at this point. Did you and, say uh, one or two plays or players away from being undefeated? Well, that's a good point. I, you can't play. I guess we learned you can play with 10 players. Not a good idea, especially when one of them is lined up, uh, is not lined up in the gap where they're going to run the play. To score the winning title, Chris, go ahead. Your lips Can we are focus on this for just a second? Because I this wish is too you would. Good. I wish you would. This is too good. It's too good. Speak. It was the last two plays that he wasn't out there, right? They kill the. They kill the play. They kill the. They kill the clock, and Notre Dame still doesn't have their eleventh guy on the field. And, and there was some crazy reason given by Marcus Freeman about, I guess the first time, he, when they first figured it out, they didn't run him out there because they didn't want to get a penalty. Or maybe they didn't know until the second play. And he was talking about not running him out for the last play of the game, which means they managed to, they managed to run a play before that. And nobody on that defense or on the coaching staff could figure out that they were playing with 10. That's nuts. How do you not know that the guy who's supposed to be next to you isn't next to you? How did the guys in the booth not realize? I mean, if you're the position coach for that guy, how does it not strike you that, hey, one of my guys is missing? And then he has, and then he has this crazy story, Freeman does, about how, well, you know, I mean, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know. we don't we don't want him to have a chance to uh we don't want him to have a chance to uh you know to 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 make a better play call or something. That came out of his get, mouth. They, right? they didn't want him to get like a free timeout. If you run a player out and there's a penalty, they get extra time to to do it. They should have taken guys off the field. I mean, and, and rush them like that. Maybe they'd be so excited to run a play against four defenders, they'd they'd fumble the ball or something. They would have been better off 
they would have been better off if they would have been screaming at one of the guys to to uh, to, to jump to jump over and touch an offensive lineman and blow the play whatever. Well, that's what so so Freeman said. I think today or yesterday they have that plan in place now, where they'll yell at a defender, a, a corner to hit the receiver so that so that they blow the play dead. I just I love that you're spending that much time figuring out. Okay, so when when we have a game losing play where we only send 10 guys out. This is what we'll do next time. Just a wild end to that. I mean, it's, it's, it's just too funny that it's Notre Dame and it happened to look, I've seen enough. You guys have too enough Notre Dame USC games where one team or the other just gets their heart ripped out that I was, this is, I can count on one hand, the number of times in my life I've rooted for Notre Dame to win a football game. I actually wanted them to win that game. I think it's good for USC. And it was hard for me to do it, right? That took real commitment because I kept I kept almost backsliding throughout the game where something bad would happen to Notre Dame. I'd start to cheer. They no, hold on a second. I'm rooting for the Irish today. But I gotta admit, when they lose that way and their fans are left asking themselves, why in the world did we have 10 guys on the field and lose that? It makes no sense to me. That makes it actually that much sweeter so that I, at this point, I'm actually happy the way it turned out just because it's hilarious when stuff like that happens to the Irish, right? Bad stuff to the Irish is good. But um, yeah, wild. Well, I, I think it's we- also why it's it's why the USC win in that way. And, and again, I think we you have to compare it to the expectation going in, right? The expectation that we set up. And that you certainly expected from Arizona State was they they lay down after that loss to Fresno State and everything that's going on. They they went the other way. And so when you have that kind of fight and, and you're kind of let down by how USC wins, that takes away from what should have been a really, really great, perfect day, the way Notre Dame lost and the way UCLA lost too to a to a Utah offense that could do nothing. I think UCLA rushed for single digit yards in that one. I mean, that, that should have been, that should have been a great day uh, for, for yeah. USC. I mean, you throw in Cal loss, Stanford loss, like it was a, across the board. Uh, one of those things that USC fans would typically root for. Well, I, I have to say, I want to thank Notre Dame. We all know what victory formation looks like. I guess they created a new terminology. We're going to defeat formation, defeat formation, Uh, And and a player is designated as not going on the field at the most critical time and not being in a gap. So thank you, Marcus Freeman. By the the way, before we get too far away from it, um, you know, they talk about how you're never as you're never as good as as uh, as you seem to be in the good games. You're never as bad as you seem to be after loss. Arizona State wasn't a loss, but it kind of felt like one. Here's the thing, USC fans, USC does have problems defensively, and they're probably going to have those problems all year. I don't think they're going to get fixed. It is what it is at this point. They're, seven, what, 17 games in, and it's the same thing. It, it is what it is. Riley Riley made his decision, uh, and he's going to have to live with that decision, and so are we. That being said, let's not go crazy. There are a lot of USC fans that are, that are now so far down the dumps because they say, look, you know, look at all these other teams in the Pac-12, they're better. Go look at the numbers. Washington's defense is no better than USC's. And maybe their schedule is slightly better because, you know, Boise State's okay. But it's not that, but it's still not that good. 
Washington, look, Washington's giving up more yards than USC right now. They're, they're, they're barely giving up less points. They're giving up more first downs. Washington can't get pressure on the quarterback. They have five sacks in four games. By the way, that's against teams that have to throw the ball every down because Washington's scoring every possession. Five sacks. I mean, that's – Solomon Bird has four and a half. Washington has 16 tackles for loss. USC has 41. So uh, – and and uh, and Utah, we mentioned Utah. That's a highly ranked team. If Cam Rising comes back, if he's healthy, if he can shake off the rust, then Utah is a legitimate threat to beat anybody right now. But if he doesn't do all of those things, Utah's going to lose at least three or four games this year. You can't win like that. Utah can't score against anybody. They're after 20 points a game. What is this? Is this 1965? Is Woody Hayes on the sideline? You can't win that way. They had Their best quarterback performance was 190 yards passing so far this year. You think, you think Utah's going to win at Washington, at USC? home against Oregon with that offense, they're going to get freaking blasted. I mean, unless Cam Rising gets back, Oregon is going to get smoked in all three of those games, and they'll probably lose to Oregon State, which also doesn't have a quarterback, right? So I just say, and Oregon looks, Oregon looked fantastic this past week against a team that we'll talk about in a minute. Oregon's also the team that had a, a road performance that was almost as disappointed as USC's was. So, I mean... The reality is that every game on this schedule is winnable for USC. It's just that if the defense could perform at a higher level, USC should be significant favorites in almost every game. And as it is, they're, they're probably going to have four toss-ups on the schedule. But they're four toss-ups. It's not like you look at it and say, oh, I, I don't think USC can compete with Washington. Why not? Washington won't touch, they won't touch Caleb Williams all day. He's going to throw the ball all over the yard by the way, so is Michael Pinnock. They're both going to throw for 480 yards and score 45 points. But that's not a huge surprise. We knew that two weeks ago. So don't panic about this. The defense isn't very good. The offense is going to have to score a bunch of points. But it might, right? It might. They might score a bunch of points like that LSU team did a few years ago when Ed O won his title, right? They may just score a bunch of points every single week. So I don't want to panic about it either. Uh, they'll play better than that in most every week this year. They will. That was a that was a bad performance where they were not ready to play. All right. With that, fans, have you ever been caught up in a last-minute ticket frenzy, distress, uncertainty? It's crunch time. You don't need it. I don't need it. But guess what? There's a game-changing solution. It's called Game Time. Imagine this, effortless ticket buying for all your favorite sports, music, comedy, theater events. No more frantic searches. Game time is your ultimate ticket, buddy. Boy, that sounds good to me. Want perks? Well, how about incredible deals on last-minute tickets and a rock-solid best price guarantee? Say goodbye to ticket anxiety and hello to the sheer joy of being in the moment. Now, just because the Trojans are on the road uh, doesn't mean you can't be planning ahead. Uh, in fact, check out tickets for this week's Colorado game in Boulder or USC's next home game on Saturday, October 7th against the Arizona Wildcats. And aside from USC tickets, you can also head to game time for Dodger playoff tickets, Angels, Rams, Chargers, and tickets to all your favorite L.A. teams. And don't forget the concerts as well. Flash deals, easy access, seat view images, 
unbeatable price guarantee, event protection, game time has it all. From sports to rock concerts. So here's the deal, fans. Head to GameTime.co. That's GameTime.co, not .com.co. Download the app. Create an account. Use code TROJANS for $20 off your first purchase. Ready to dive in? As for buying tickets, it's as easy as tapping on your phone. Tickets are sent straight to your phone. Again, download the GameTime app. Create an account. Use code TROJANS for $20 off. Terms apply. Create an account. Redeem code TROJANS for $20 off your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. All right, let's move on to the second quarter of Inside the Trojans Huddle by taking a look at this Saturday's USC Pac-12 opponent, Colorado Buffaloes, 3-1. and one. It'll be in sold-out Folsom Field in Boulder, Colorado. Fox will nationally televise the game, which kicks off at 9 a.m. Pacific time. That's 10 a.m. local mountain time. Colorado under first-year head coach Dion Primetime Sanders, the Pro Football Hall of Famer, and his team have been the story in college football in 2023. How? Ever, after getting off to a 3-0 start and a national top 25 ranking, Buffaloes had a reality check last Saturday. When the Buffaloes traveled to the University of Oregon and that insane asylum known as Autzen Stadium and came crashing back down to reality with a resounding 42-6 loss to the Duckies. Colorado is led by top NFL quarterback prospect Shadur Sanders. He's the son of the coach. Running back Dylan Edwards, a former Notre Dame commit, wide receiver Xavier uh, Weaver, and defensive back Shiloh Sanders, head coach's other son. However, the Buffaloes will be missing their second-best player behind quarterback Shadur Sanders in two-way star, corner and wide receiver Travis Hunter, out due to a lacerated, lacerated liver, suffered in the Colorado State game. Colorado is currently averaging 32.5 points per game on offense while allowing 33.25 points per game on defense. So, panel. Trojans open up, 24-point favorite to defeat Colorado. Let's start off with the first thing of significance, this 10 a.m. local mountain time kickoff, which will be televised on Fox. Your thoughts on the kickoff time, which is 9 a.m. Pacific time. Will that have any effect on the Trojans with such an early start? Chris Arledge. Well, Ken, I don't know what the coaching staff has done to make sure that um, that these guys are prepared to play that early, but I'm I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that's something they've thought of. Look, it's weird. It's a weird start time. It's a road game. You're playing at altitudes. There are all kinds of reasons why USC uh, why USC may not come out and play their best. And I don't and I don't really like the start time. Here's the thing. I think I think the Trojans were helped immensely by their performance last week because I don't think they're going to show up not ready to play again. I think they're probably embarrassed by by the performance they turned in and should be. So uh, while I don't love the start time, I don't think it's going to have an impact this week because I think those guys are going to be ready to go, uh, especially with a chance to play on national television a week after stinking up the joint. Uh, so I, I don't think it'll have a huge impact. Eric, your thoughts? I mean, I like it personally. I like I like not being up uh, at two o'clock at night trying to trying to finish up game stuff. I don't think it's I don't think it's great. I don't think that they would want to play that early. I do think that given the choice, especially on the road between getting up and playing and getting up and 
waiting and sitting around and waiting and waiting and waiting, they'd rather get up and play. I mean, the, these, the, the young guys, college players, Saturday hits, they want to play that. That's the whole idea of waking up in the morning on Saturday. So I do think that they'll be more excited, more up. And I do think what Chris said goes into it too. They're going to want to get back on the field as quickly as possible. Just like I, I think that they hated that early bye week because they really liked how the starters especially played against Stanford. The idea that, no, you can't play next Saturday, I, I think was a, was a big letdown. So uh, I would be surprised if they come out super sluggish. I'd be surprised if Lincoln Riley doesn't have some kind of plan in place to adjust body clocks and, and all of that stuff. Uh, it's tough though. It's tough. I mean, you, you can say they're young and you can say all of that stuff, the, the makeup of your, the human anatomy and physiology and all of that stuff. It's tough to all of a sudden play a game at a time where you've, you've never played before. I think the cotton bowl last year was 10 AM Pacific time. And that was by far the earliest that they played last year. So it's not something that any of them are used to. Uh, I think there's going to be enough juice and enough stuff going on on the sideline to kind of wake you up and, and get going. I'd say it's, it's not ideal, but I don't think that you can, if, if something does go wrong, I don't think you can point to it. You, you know, well enough in advance what that is going to be. You know how you came out and started the game the last time you were on the road. There's plenty out there that should have USC kind of on point and, and going from the opening kick in this one. You know what I find interesting? Now, last week at Arizona State, it's a 7.30 kickoff, right? Now we're asking USC's team to get up at 4 in the morning. By the way, for fans, uh, the uh, stadium gates for Folsom uh, Field will open at 8 in the morning for the 10 o'clock local time kickoff. And now we find out that next week's game against uh, Arizona in the Coliseum will be a 7.30 kickoff again. So you, you don't get much difference between in a three-week period, late game, early game, late game. Um, I, I'm disappointed in the start. I I, I was on the conference call like uh, most of you for uh, Lincoln Riley's explanation of the of the early time, let's face it, here's the deal. When I listen to all the propaganda, so to speak, uh, Lincoln Riley wants this game to be shown on national TV uh, to expose his team. It's about that. It's about uh, beating Colorado with a big audience watching. I don't know if it is, it'll be as big an audience because of what happened to Colorado last week against Oregon, but it'll be big enough. So it's about exposure to the program. Uh, I think that SC better come to play, and we'll talk about that uh, here in a second. But uh, I, I don't like the kickoff time. I wonder if this is going to be foreshadowing early kickoff time to the Coliseum. I can't imagine a 9 a.m. kickoff at the Coliseum because I'll tell you, it would. we'll see if they give the okay to that. But we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Panel. Uh, what will you be looking for from the USC offense, defense, and special teams against the Buffaloes and uh, your overall thoughts on the game, Chris? Well, I'm going to look. I'm going to look for them to show up ready to play this week. I think they will. They didn't. They didn't last week, and it showed. Um, 
let's take a step back. I want you to think about how crazy it is what's happened with Colorado this year. Deion Sanders is not, he doesn't have Nick Saban's track record, right? It's not like he's won a bunch of national titles somewhere. He's only coached a couple of years. This is his first year coaching at the highest level. Um, despite that, Colorado has broken through to non-college football fans this year. I have people that don't watch college football asking me about Colorado, and, which is nuts. It sounds like, it sounds like, the Colorado-Oregon game may have had higher ratings than a top 10 matchup between Notre Dame and Ohio State this week. The week before, Colorado against Colorado State, which is a game that nobody has ever cared about from the time humans first settled in North America until the present, was the highest rated game ever in that time slot and one of the highest rated cable uh, college football games of all time. Think about how crazy that is. Purely on the strength of Deion Sanders' personality, and I know he's always been a larger-than-life game, we can, you know, at least the two of us can. I don't know about McKinney. We can remember back when he was when he was playing, and he was larger-than-life then. Um, but that's really crazy. And part of what it's obscured is that Colorado isn't very good. It's a team with a really good quarterback that they can't protect. Uh, a few really good skill position players, especially offensively, and a terrible defense. They're probably the seventh or eighth best team in the Pac-12. They cannot play with USC unless USC self-destructs. They'll come out and play hard next week because they were also embarrassed by what happened, and they get to come back home and and play on national TV. And, and if USC doesn't show up, if they're careless with the football, if they commit a bunch of penalties, if they, you know, if they let a receiver get behind them and Colorado gets in the game and the crowd really gets excited, then Colorado can give them a game. But if USC simply comes out, plays, tackles well and plays aggressively up front on defense and just plays without making too many mistakes on offense, they will run the Buffaloes off the field because Colorado isn't any good. They're just not. Colorado's Colorado's not as good as Washington State this year. I might even take Washington State Washington State's quarterback right now too. He's got a lot of experience, but they're not that good. USC will thump them if they simply show up to play. So we'll see. Eric. Yeah, I mean, same thing with a lot of those points. Our play calls getting in to where the offense is getting lined up with more than four seconds on the play clock early on. Is there a, a communication between Justin Dietrich and Caleb Williams so that he always has an understanding of when the snap is coming back to him? Are they dropping balls on the turf? Stuff, stuff like that, stuff that you really want ironed out in, in fall camp. Did you get enough of a sense of the away game atmosphere to where in a week that stuff is ironed out, right? And and you are going from the opening kick. You are operating like you were against Stanford, like you were a couple games in with that home atmosphere. Uh, because Chris is right. They are not what, – what everyone is going to want to do is to compare what USC does against Colorado to what Oregon did against Colorado. These are two – 
extremely different scenarios that they have there. That was an Oregon team playing at home against a Colorado team that had not felt really anything except success and didn't understand at that point what it was like to play without Travis Hunter. USC is getting a Colorado team that now has been knocked down, has something to kind of see if they can gather themselves, come back up. It's the same thing that they just saw in Arizona State. I mean, that that's the kind of thing that Colorado is going to have. That being said, everything that Colorado is bad at, USC is pretty good at in, in the other side. Colorado cannot run the ball. They cannot protect the quarterback. USC can go after Shadur Sanders. They're going to have to cover a little bit, but he's not hes not Caleb Williams, right? I mean, no, nobody is. You can get to Shadur Sanders far more easily than teams can get to Caleb Williams. Colorado is the most penalized team in the conference. They do not play discipline. They cannot stop the run. You hope that when Lincoln Riley sees that Marshawn Lloyd is running for 65 yards a carry, that you could get through the game by giving him the ball 30 times. I mean, you, you don't want to wear him out, right? There, there's Giving him the ball 30 times is not really what this offense is. It's not really what college football is. But there were times against Arizona State where maybe he gets the ball one or two more times in, in this kind of span of plays and that offense is, is working a little bit better. So that's something where you could go, you know, four running backs deep and just run at Colorado all day. That's what Oregon, I mean, Oregon handed the ball directly up the middle against Colorado's nose tackle and middle linebacker. And they were, they were nowhere. They were blown off the ball, huge holes. So what USC does pretty well should match up well. If it's something where you can, stalemate the crowd a little bit or or kind of get off to the start that you want to get off to Colorado can do nothing for 60 minutes that should give USC any kind of long-term problem. So it's about that. It's about USC fixing its own problems and, and making sure that it's functioning on the road. There were plays again, I, I mentioned kind of calls coming in or things getting flipped, having to call timeouts when you seem set up, for an offensive play with plenty of time left on the play clock. And you're trying to maybe be a little too perfect, a little too precious on, on the play call that play clock runs down. You had, and and it ended up in a sack. I, I think it may have been the Solomon bird force fumble, but you had a play where Eric Gentry is at the line of scrimmage turned around. I mean, completely back to the ball turned around talking to Bryson Shaw when the ball snapped. I mean, that that's the kind of stuff that you see sometimes from the defense when you're trying to make all these calls and checks and all of that. So what does that look like? Is USC ready to play every single down from that first whistle to the end? Because Colorado as a team is not great, but I do want to echo what Chris says, right? It's so Colorado is so polarizing and I don't think they have to be. I think you can say that they're not there yet because in the transfer portal, it's easy. It is. I mean, especially when he's your son, it's easy to go get a quarterback. It's easy to go get wide receivers. It's it's there are a ton of corners and skill guys and all of that running backs in the transfer portal. It's really hard to go get five really good offensive linemen or a bunch of good defensive linemen. And that's what you're seeing from Colorado. They couldn't load up on offensive linemen. I mean, a lot of good ones. And they couldn't load up on a bunch of good defensive linemen, which is 
a little bit what happened to, to USC in that first year. What Lincoln Riley had was Andrew Voorhees and Brett Nealon and Justin Dietrich and Jonah Monheim. Like he had the offensive line there. Deion Sanders does not have the offensive line that Lincoln Riley walked into. But what he's done in terms of spotlight on the program, and like Chris said, just generating so much attention within the sport, without of the sport, all of that, he absolutely has them on the right track. And, and you can be impressed by what he did and still say it's not a great team at this point. But that blueprint that he's laid down and the attention he's gotten, the recruits that are visiting, all of that stuff, it is it is really impressive what he's been able to do uh, in a short time in terms of really quickly building and, and laying the foundation because his team plays hard for him. Like there's not a ton of talent at every single spot, but those guys play hard and and they hit. Uh, but USC, I, I don't think there's any question, is by far the better roster and, and better complete team at this point. Yeah, I think USC is in a no-win situation, really. Um, if they cream them, uh, if SC creams Colorado, everybody will say, well, so did Oregon, so what? Um, but what SC has to do is be satisfied with their own execution, their own productivity, not be worried about how it looks on Fox and all the other uh, things and worry about rankings. I don't think they will. On offense, I want to see them run the football. Uh, if it's not broken, don't try to fix it. I see this as a test of Lincoln Riley's own philosophy of what's working. I know this may be a chance to showcase Caleb again on, in his hunt for a second Heisman Trophy, but really the bottom line right now is you got to get ready, dude, for what's coming. The tsunami of the schedule is coming, and they need to have efficiency. They got to be disciplined uh, defensively. They've got to really pay attention to the intensity of playing. It's it's all about intensity and discipline. We all don't have to agree with what Alex Grinch is doing, and many of us don't. But we do know that if they play hard every single down, if they come out ready to play on defense, it'll be a tough day for Shadur Sanders. I don't care how good he is. Um, and special teams, they got to make right decisions. They can't cap penalties. Branch can't become a freshman and say, should I run it out? Should I not run it out? Uh, looking for the big play every single moment. Discretion sometimes is the better part of valor. Uh, I think SC will be ready to play. Uh, but again, you know, when there's such focus nationally on a game, uh, USC has to, on offense, defense, and special teams, be ready to go. Uh, and, you know, the coaching staff, like I said, can only say too much, so much to these guys. They're the ones on the field. They have to they have to do it. Uh, let's wrap this up with, with this question. We've been doing this with the departing Pac-12 teams that are going to new conferences. Obviously, Colorado's going to the Big 12. SC's going to uh, the Big 10. It's not been a long rivalry with Colorado. It's kind of been one-sided. Uh, but is there any particular thing about this? short series against Colorado that you're going to miss, or are you just going to miss playing against a Deion Sanders coach team each season? Chris? Um, it hasn't been a long rivalry. It hasn't been a rivalry at all. I mean, I mean, to have a rivalry, like one team, one team has to win at least one game at some point during the process and they haven't. Um, no, 
there's nothing about Colorado USC that I'll miss. There's nothing particularly memorable. The most memorable game I can think of was uh, was that 2002 game where Pete Carroll, before we knew how good USC was going to be, went to Boulder and beat Colorado like 45 to three or something like that. I remember that one. But for the most part, it's been a bunch of uh, games that aren't memorable and aren't interesting to talk about. And Colorado has been a program for a long time that wasn't interesting and not uh, and not fun to talk about. When I think Colorado, I think of Colorado against Notre Dame back in the uh, 1990 or whatever it was. I think about Colorado against Nebraska in those days. That's what I think of when I think of Colorado, because since they've been in this conference, they've been garbage. So I'm not going to miss Colorado. I actually think, look, Colorado probably has some really good years ahead of them in the Big 12. I, I'm with Eric. I think what Dion has done is he has raised that program to a level where they can really recruit with the big guys. And he's going to a conference where there really aren't any other teams that can recruit with the big guys. So I think Colorado's got a nice future, but there's nothing about the recent past in Colorado that I find in the least bit interesting. Eric? I really like the trip to Boulder. I, I mean, it's it's a great trip. It's a really cool place to to watch a football game. The 2002 game is it. That was the one I was going to talk about. It was 40 to three. Uh, Colorado had something like 60 total yards going into the fourth quarter. It was as as dominant a win, honestly, as USC put together in that Carroll era. But it was so early, it doesn't get talked about the way you know the the 2004, five, seven, those, those kind of teams. But no, other than that, it's, I mean, you just, you want USC to stay undefeated against them. That's it. I mean, that that's kind of all this game is. Uh, it, it means more than that, right? In terms of eyes and Caleb, we talked about the Heisman and all of that kind of stuff. But no, you, you, you go out not having lost to them. And honestly, you probably don't see Colorado for, for quite a while at this point. There's not a huge reason for USC to go play in Colorado or to host Deion Sanders in Los Angeles uh, in the immediate future. Yeah, you know, it's been so one-sided. I mean, what is it, 8-0, 9-0 uh, against Colorado? So I don't think that's a rivalry, as Chris uh, aptly pointed out. I think my memories of, of Colorado has, is basically just kind of a visitation. I know when I was in uh, Folsom Field last time, it was so cold that I remember sitting in a – it's really a lousy press box that – by any stretch of the imagination, I think it's the worst press box in the Pac-12, in my opinion. And I remember this cramped little press box last time I was there. And um, it gets so cold that the upper part above the table that you put your laptop on uh, was so cold. I mean, the glass, they have glass, uh, you know, they're protecting you. But then beneath the table, underneath, were these heaters that were so hot. It was like the upper part of your body was turning into an icicle and the lower part, you just wondered if your pants were going to catch on fire. And the other part that I always remember was the great food spread they had for games. Just tremendous. Bring out barbecue chicken, ribs. It, it's really like a golden corral. And uh, I remember after the game, I said, well, what can they do to, to enhance on what they had for the pregame? You know, it brings this whole table full of desserts. And everything else. I mean, they do it first class. My question is for an early morning game. I would assume it's going to be a breakfast spread, but that's going to be the intrigue. 
I think I'm going to miss uh, Deion Sanders' coach team strictly because it's a Deion Sanders coach team. Uh, I wonder going to the Big 12 how much uh, recruiting effectiveness will happen in L.A., but I think Sanders is such a dynamic figure that he's going to uh, he's going to be fine in the L.A. region. There'll be players that, that want to play for him. So. 16 and up, 16 and 0, Greg. That's what USC is against Colorado all time. Is that what it is? Okay. 11 and 0 since they joined the conference. I mean, those are Washington general numbers, right? That's just not good. Yeah. And for those of you that don't know who the Washington generals were, they were the uh, team that would always face the Harlem Globetrotters and would get creamed uh, like 108 to 12. Um, and for those of you who watched all the USC Colorado games in the press box, like Greg did, I'm sure you enjoyed the food as, as much as he did. <laughs> that's right friends a reminder usc football fans following the conclusion of each and every usc home and away game we rsc brings you five things a timely anal anal analysis from moderator and we rsc editor-in-chief eric mckinney along with columnist mark culkin and myself the trio uh we answer and discuss five important in-depth questions about the just concluded game again check out five things on youtube and we rse.com after the inclusion of Saturday morning's Colorado State Colorado game from Boulder. Halftime. I think we kind of touched on some of these issues, but we'll lightly touch on it. First of all, Penn State has their famous whiteout game where fans wear a white shirt to the game. Should the Trojans have a red out game sometimes during the season? If so, against whom? Eric? I think I like the idea of like a cardinal and gold stripe out game, right? Vertically up and down, like with the sections, you go cardinal and, and gold alternating. I think that would be because there's so the, the seats are all red anyway. And if you went all red, I don't know what that would look like against that backdrop. I think I think the cardinal and gold kind of stripes, especially for a home game with those uniforms would look. Look kind of cool. And then, yeah, right, UCLA or, or Notre Dame um, for sure would be those. But I'd, I'd be okay. I'd be okay with that. Chris? So I'm not so much worried about that as I am just hoping that fans will go to the games. Um, I don't care what they wear. By the way, on that front, since Greg does commercials, I'm going to do a commercial now. Listen, this is the one and only opportunity you'll ever have to do this. But if you want to go to the Utah or Washington games, if you want to sit right next to me, send me an email. I have three tickets I'm trying to sell. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. Other than if you don't, uh, don't, if you can't find my email address by doing a quick Google search, then you're not smart enough to sit by me. But if you can do that, send me an email. Uh, I'll sell them wherever I paid for them, but I need to get rid of those tickets. And because I so badly want those seats to be filled for USC's benefit, not my own. That's why I'm having this uh, this commercial. By the way, just to be specific, you're talking about when Utah comes to the Coliseum. And when Washington comes to the Coliseum. I have three <laughs> extra tickets to both of those games. So I, this is probably not the appropriate venue to do this, but I honestly don't care. I want to get rid of those tickets, and so I'm going to do it anyway. Well, that was very insightful, very informative, and we, we encourage all of you, all 5,000 people that always watch this show, Please Google search, find Chris's uh, a chance to unload his tickets and, uh, you know, may the best person win. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, question here. Uh, 
I think we touched on this, so we don't need to really go into it, but who or what, is there anything that surprised you during the Notre Dame loss to Ohio State other than, let's say, what we've already discussed, which was, of course, the ridiculous ending? Uh, did you learn anything about Notre Dame? Are you sorry that Notre Dame lost? I think, Chris, you mentioned you you were unhappy that they lost to Ohio State. I will say I was unhappy that they lost. I wanted to see USC and Notre Dame be uh, undefeated when they play each other, but does that really matter at this point, even if Notre Dame has lost a game? Eric, what do you think? It's different. It's diff If Notre Dame had been undefeated and USC was undefeated at that game, it would feel a little bit different than whatever it's going to feel like with, with at least one loss there. It's not going to change a whole lot. I mean, Notre Dame is that they played well enough to be right there. You saw, I think they dropped fewer spots than USC did after USC won a game uh, in, in the poll there. So no, that, that established Notre Dame as one of those teams, right? This is one of those years where if you can say you're in the top, what, six, 10, 12, you have a chance to beat anybody else in that group. I mean, with the last few years, it's felt like you kind of have to be one, either that number one team or one or two, and those teams are going to win. But right now, the idea that we know who the top four teams are going to, you know, everyone, everyone say, oh, Florida State doesn't play anybody else and they're going to win out or this team doesn't play anyone and, and they're going to win out. Michigan was struggling with Rutgers. Florida State has struggled with everybody. I mean, even including, you know, they beat LSU, but struggled with everybody at, at this point. So the idea that someone's just going to cruise, uh, I think Notre Dame and USC are definitely those two teams. And when those two teams have a chance to win the national championship, that game at South Bend is huge. So I don't, I don't think it changes it all that much. Uh, it, it, you know, goes from being maybe the the game of the year to one of the games of the year in terms of of anticipation. So um, I think we, I think a couple of us picked Notre Dame to win that game. So not surprised at all that it was close and and decided by a play or two at the end. Chris, does it matter that Notre Dame has a loss? I mean, it matters a little bit, but um, but because of the way they lost, not that much, right? I mean, they lost they lost on the last play of the game, and uh, and they decided to do it shorthanded. So uh, here's the thing that what jumps out at me is that Notre Dame is what I thought they would be. They're a physical team. They play hard. They're not explosive. They're not explosive offensively, and they don't rush the passer very well. Um, USC has a real chance to win that game, but Notre Dame is going to uh, Notre Dame is going to bring it, and that crowd is going to be that crowd is going to be nuts. So that's going to be a great football game. That's also the same week as Washington Oregon, which is also going to be an amazing football game. That's going to be a good week of football. Um, and Ohio State does have explosive athletes, but they don't have a quarterback, right? That's the reality. And and so both of those teams are, as Eric pointed out, there's nobody this year, including Georgia, that you look at and say, I don't know how, I don't know how they can be beat if they play well. I don't think there's a team like that. Uh, all of the teams, all of the teams in the top ten, uh, well, Notre Dame's number eleven, so the top eleven are all teams that have that have real flaws. Uh, and, and so this is a year where, where things are wide open 
and the Irish are still in it. They need to go undefeated. But if they if they lose only that one game to Ohio State, they're going to get in. So um, I don't know that I learned much. I think those teams are who I thought they were. Um, and uh, and that game in a few weeks is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, just for the record, uh, Chris, you're going to Notre Dame, correct? I, yeah, I am. And Eric and I are going to be at Notre Dame. Mark Culkin will be at Notre Dame. We'll have the whole crew there. It'd be great to get us all together, hopefully at some point. Um, I, this is an elimination game, uh, Notre Dame and SC, specifically for Notre Dame because they can't afford a second loss. Uh, you know, they they have a kind of a gift that the way they lost the first game, they can't they can't have a second loss. And this will be a redemption game for them, especially if SC is undefeated. SC beat them the year before. So it's, it's going to be a lot of fun either way. And a reminder, we strongly encourage those of you watching Inside the Trojans Huddle on sites like YouTube to click on the like and red subscriber buttons. It's greatly valued, appreciated. Again, it's free. And you can also listen to Inside the Trojans Huddle on many available podcast sites. And be sure to check out wearesc.com. Become a premium subscriber. I can tell you firsthand, you'll be glad that you did. So with that... Let's get into the third quarter kickoff in honor of USC going to the Big Ten in 2024. We kick off the third quarter of Inside the Trojans Huddle with our Big Ten lightning round. Panel, answer the following questions, uh, statements with a brief comment if you feel it's required. We'll go in this order, Eric, Chris, and myself. So here we go, guys. Question one, yes or no. When the Trojans move to the Big Ten in 2024, no game played in the Coliseum will kick off before 11 a.m. Pacific time. Eric, yes or no? Muted. He, he's muted. I don't think so. I don't think that it will, but honestly, I don't I don't feel too great about that. There's a chance. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> I just, I, I don't think so, but I could see USC getting pitched on a, Hey, it's USC. It's Ohio State. We want to put you in the in the noon window. It's going to do massive numbers. I, TV drives this thing now. It do, I mean, it does. Like if if that wasn't obvious when all the everything started happening, it's where we are. Well, I'll guarantee you one thing: it won't be for the Washington game because that's SC's homecoming. I don't think they want to celebrate homecoming after the game, Chris. Yes or no? We're talking. I mean, we're not talking about this year. We're talking about future years, right? Yes, I don't think we can. Yeah, I don't think we can say that uh, that they won't play an early game. USC is moving to a conference that plays in that time slot every week, and some of their biggest games are in that time slot. And if you USC, it's actually hugely important to have those nationally televised games. And it helps if it's uh, it, it helps if it's the Fox game of the week, where all the Fox guys are there at the stadium. And that matters because you, uh, the, the days are gone when USC is recruiting 90% of their guys from Southern California. They're recruiting nationwide, and and it, and uh, Lincoln Riley's right. Uh, having that national brand and, and having, those nas- having those nationally televised games, having the pregame shows at the Coliseum, those sorts of things are hugely important. So USC will do what they have to do, and if that means they're going to play a game at 10 a.m. Pacific time. I think they'll do it, even though I don't love it. I think if they do that, everyone should show up in their pajamas. 
If they um, do that, everyone's not showing up. But that, you hand, out, you hand out cardinal and gold striped pajamas, and you, <laughs> you got two birds, one stone here. <laughs> Sounds good to me. No, I I think there's something in the contract that says that they can't play before eleven unless U.S. Yes, he says, um, you know, we'll waive that. So I'm going to, in good faith, say no, they won't. But you know how that goes. All right, here we go. Question uh, two, yes or no? Deion Sanders says he has no desire to coach in the NFL because coaching professional millionaires is too difficult compared to college players. Do you believe that primetime will never coach in the NFL, Eric? No, but I don't believe anything any coach says about anything that they're going to do in the future. So that just gets lumped in with, with all of that. Chris? Eric said it perfectly. Uh, I say uh, no. Uh, I, I think he will coach in the NFL at some point in time. It's his competitive nature. Question three, uh, yes or no, there will be a fight on the field at some point during the USC-Colorado game. Eric? No, no. I I think that if, <laughs> if Colorado was going to fight somebody, they would have fought Oregon for what they were doing out there. Um, I, think, I think there's kind of a – Shadur and Caleb and all of that, like those are two leaders that understand what this is and what college football is. I, I think that you might get some talking, but I'd be surprised if it went all the way to a fight. USC has way too much to lose to get into something like that. Chris? When you say fight, do you mean, you know, pushing and screaming? Do you mean they square up and they're and they're trading? And stop punches? the game. Yeah, I mean, like, is it like a like a hockey like a hockey game where guys circle around the two guys and they're throwing punches? Is I don't know if that's what you're asking. Then no, but I think if they wanted to raise money for charity, if they could have Lincoln Riley and Deion Sanders fight at midfield at halftime, uh, I think they could raise a huge amount of money, and I, I would be in favor of them doing that. And look, USC's defensive line, they come out early. When they do that kind of walkthrough before they even put any of their gear on, they come out to the center of the field. They kind of get into a huddle. They lock arms and, and they talk. If Colorado, I mean, Colorado seems like they take everything as a slight at this point. Uh, now, Colorado State was like digging at the logo and kicking it around. USC players do not do that. But if Colorado wants to take just standing there, as a slight or whatever, I could see them maybe talking a little bit, but USC is not going to go out of its way to, to do anything like that. Well, I don't know if the band is going to be there, the entire band for SC, but I can sure if the, uh, the uh, Trojan warrior goes out to the center of the field and, and plants his sword in the middle of the logo, uh, that could probably be taken as a personal attack on uh, Colorado. I think Dion will be looking for anything to fire his team up. And that would certainly qualify. All right, question four. Yes or no, the Trojans' defensive line will sack Colorado quarterback Shadur Sanders at least three times on Saturday. Eric? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if they, if they don't get to him three times, something, something bad happened. Chris? Yeah, I think they're going to sack him eight or nine times. Yeah, I think I'd say uh, at least three times. That's a yes for me. Uh, question four, uh, five, yes or no, Colorado quarterback Shadur Sanders will throw at least three touchdown passes and for over 300 yards against the Trojan secondary. Eric? 
Yeah, but I think because he plays the whole game and they keep throwing and throwing and throwing, I think he could probably get to those. And and because Colorado either can't or won't run the ball, um, I I think he could get to those numbers in this one. Chris? Yeah, I want to say yes. I think he probably will. Uh, I say uh, yes. I, I, I think he'll get the three touchdown passes one way or the other, uh, whether he gets over 300 yards, uh, I'm going to say yes, because I think he'll play the whole game and they'll be looking to, to, to com- compete all the way to the, to the final uh, gun. Uh, question six, yes or no, the Trojans defense will hold the Colorado offense to under 30 points. Yes or no, Eric? Yeah, under 30. Over 20, I think, but under 30. Chris? Yeah, I think high 20s sounds about right, so I'll say yes, but I don't feel comfortable with that. Uh, and I agree with Chris on that. I, I don't feel comfortable with it, but it could happen. Uh, question seven, yes or no, Caleb Williams will throw for five touchdown passes, pass for over 300 yards, and score at least two touchdowns rushing against Colorado. Eric? I like that we're setting the line for Caleb Williams now at like what would have been a – a number one season production uh, for most quarterbacks. All right, so so let me go through this again. Five. So 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 we're at seven total, seven total touchdowns. touchdowns. Seven, yeah. seven total touchdowns makes throwing for three hundred yards look like nothing. So I'm I'm gonna say he passes for three hundred yards. I'm gonna say five total touchdowns. So I guess I have to say under on on all of those numbers combined, I think he'll do okay. I th- I think Caleb Williams will put up some numbers this weekend. Chris? I think USC will have at least seven total touchdowns. I do not think Caleb Williams will, but I'll say this. He is going to put on a show Saturday. I think he's embarrassed. I think his entire offense is embarrassed. National television against Dion and Dion's kid who's been getting all kinds of hype all year. Caleb Williams is going to go off Saturday. But I don't think he's going to have I don't think he's going to have seven total touchdowns by himself. Caleb Williams, sorry Greg, before you jump in, Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley are I don't know what order, but one or two, one and two in the most competitive i mean that it's it's Pete carroll levels of competitiveness for those and caleb williams doesn't always show it like he's calm cool like you said sitting on the bench and and does a lot of that stuff he does you could tell he does not like when other quarterbacks get talked about kind of in that same level as him or, or get that attention uh and and he he's not it's it's not dan lanning vocal about it where he pretends like he doesn't pay attention and then is talking about it constantly. Uh, but you are right. I guarantee that he understands every bit of attention that Shadur Sanders has gotten uh, and, and has this one lined up this weekend. Chris? That was, well, I, I took your turn, my, Greg. You're, you're jumping in. Oh, that's right. I I double dipping, but if, if you want me to answer twice, I'll answer twice. I'm going to say no again. <laughs> okay. I, I don't think he will. Uh, get i think he'll probably have five touchdowns as he's has a hand in them i i think he will throw for over 300 yards uh 
you know, I, he, he may very well score two touchdowns against Colorado, but uh, in the end, I don't think it's going to total, uh, you know, seven touchdowns as, as you mentioned. All right. Number eight, yes or no Trojans place kicker, Dennis Lynch will kick at least three field goals on Saturday. Eric. No, but what I do want is I want him to get a shot from 60 now at Colorado with that altitude. I did not think that he was going to get close on that 53 yarder and he, he crushed it. Uh, something right before half. I'd, I'd love to see him thrown out there for, for something like that, but no, not three. Chris. Eight better not. I want, I want eight. I want eight extra points. I don't want any field goals, but if they're going to kick the 60-yarder at half, that's fine. No, I don't think he will kick three field goals. I mean, he better not be kicking three field goals or something's wrong. All right, question nine. Take your pick, guys. A hamburger or hot dog at a college football tailgate? Eric? I mean, a hamburger, but you're selling yourself short a little bit with with what tailgates have evolved to now if, if it's just hamburger or hot dog. Well, so your pick again is? Hamburger, but probably a different tailgate, honestly. All right, Chris? <laughs> yeah, I'll go I'll go burger if those are the two choices. Yeah, and I, and I will go burger as well. All right, question 10. Yes or no, considering that marijuana is legal in many states and beer is sold at most college football games, should fans be allowed to smoke marijuana at a college football game? Eric? So I'm curious if this came from this game being in Boulder or if it came from <laughs> watching USC's game against Arizona State. Uh, I'll say no. I'll say no uh, to that. But again, I, I always love the the question 10 and trying to figure out how you came up with it. Uh, Chris, you're the legal mind here. What do you think? I don't think this is really a serious legal question, Greg. Uh, and I don't know that you need to have gone to law school to answer it. I'm going to say no. I don't want anybody smoking anything in, in the seats because I don't want to have to breathe the smoke. So I'm going to say no. And I will say no for that reason as well. I don't think the people around uh, people that do that uh, will find it um, something they want to be around. So I'm going to say no. But who knows in the in the far future. All right, our bonus question, guys. Yes or no? Would you rather live in a one-story or two-story house, Eric? I'm trying to figure out if this is a football metaphor. I don't, I don't see how it could be. I mean, one, I guess. I like. I've, I've got, I've got a multi-story Eric, house. No, and, no, no, Eric. I'm tired Eric. of stairs, so one. No, Eric. Re, look at the. His question was yes or no. Would you rather live in a one-story or two-story house? So oh, yes. yes. Yes, yes. I'm going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you want th you want three or four. You want, you want beyond that. I get it. I'm okay with one or two. That's fine was, with me. Yes. I was concerned about this, this question because I thought you guys would take it off to the absurd. But, um, <laughs> Eric, what you want to be in a, a – you'd rather be in a one-story house? I think that's fine. Okay, because because I, I I told you, you I like got stairs there? now. I'm okay, I'm okay getting rid of them. Okay, uh, Chris, uh, do you prefer one or two stories? I mean, there are all kinds of other factors that are more important than that. Just get to the point. Well, I mean, I, I, if if it's a two story mansion versus a one story home where I can barely 
you know, I can barely squeeze two people in the living room. I choose the two story. Besides, you wanted a yes or no answer to that question. And I said, no. Okay. I'm not going to change my answer now. Okay. Uh, I would prefer a two story house. I live in a two story. Uh, the only negative about it, of course, is that the heat rises to the second floor. So sometimes you have to monitor the air conditioning, but it's nice to get away. If there's people downstairs, you don't want to be around uh, for whatever reason, you can always go to the second floor and you, you feel like you're away from it all. So now before we start the uh, fourth quarter as tradition, now I got panned a little bit by one of our viewers who said I blew out the smoke on the lighting of the traditional torch. So I think um, it's I think it's the flame that you blow out, not the smoke, right? Okay. Uh, before heading into the fourth quarter, we're lighting this. If those of you who have never been to the Coliseum, between the third and fourth quarter, they light the Olympic flame in the peristyle and the famous Olympic flame, and it's a big deal. The band plays the William Tell Overture. Uh, so uh, while we're going to let the torch burn just a little bit here, reminder to all you recruitaholics, don't forget to watch WeRSC.com's weekly recruiting video show. I think it's up right now, uh, entitled Recruiting Roundup, with nationally respected Scott Trader, the best in the business, and host Dylan Brazier, as well as Friday's new Four Down show with Eric McKinney and yours truly, where we bring you the latest info on USC's next opponent. So with that panel, the Pac-12 has an abbreviated number of conference games this weekend. Uh, in the fourth quarter, we're going to ask you to predict the winner from ranked Pac-12 teams and two games of national significance. Now, the first one is a Friday night, September 29th game. Number 10, Utah is at number 19, Oregon State. That's 6 p.m. on FS1. Oregon State is a one-point favorite. Who are you picking, Chris? If Tim Rising doesn't play, I think Oregon State wins this game. Utah at this point is essentially Iowa. They're disciplined and they're tough and they play good defense and they have an unbelievably horrific offense. I don't think you can win on the road in the Pac-12 against a against a good football team with that kind of offense. Now, granted, Oregon State doesn't really have a quarterback either, but um, but I think Oregon State wins this one. And if Cam Rising doesn't play, I bet they win it by two touchdowns. Wow. Eric? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff kind of going against each other on this. I, I think it's I think it's just Cam Rising. If Cam Rising plays, Utah wins. If he doesn't, Oregon State wins. I I think that Utah can shut down that Oregon State offense. That Utah defense when it's clicking is is really, really good. Utah, as always, a different team at home versus on the road. And and that game being at Oregon State, again, I I think if Cam Rising does not play, then Oregon State wins. This is a big game for Oregon State. They they can't afford to to drop a game. Utah needs to get Cam Rising playing before they end up playing uh, against uh, Washington uh, and some of the other teams that they're going to play. Uh, so let's. Uh, I'm going to go. If Rising doesn't play, I'm going to go with Oregon State. I don't think you can continue to win on just defense and expecting the other team to score. 14 points. So that's kind of how I look at it. Uh, Saturday, September 30th, number nine, Oregon at Stanford. I don't think we need to really go much into this. 3.30 p.m. 
uh, Pac-12 network. I think we're all in agreement. Oregon's a 26-point favorite. Probably will cream them by a lot more than that. Uh, let's move on. I do the- think you you have to put out there, though, that Oregon has to do to Stanford. I mean, again, people are going to compare USC Colorado to Oregon Colorado. Oregon should be beating Stanford 49-3 at half or, or whatever that was, right? Well, I would think so. I don't think that Dan Lanning can sit there and say, you know, it's all about uh, points on the board and not clicks on a uh, computer site. Uh, they, they'll they'll come to play. Uh, is Dan Lanning as unlikable as I think he is, or is that just my Oregon bias? I, I But I got to tell you, every time <laughs> I see that guy, I just want to punch him in the face. I mean, oh, it's, come on. It's punch true. In the face? I'm not going to punch. I'm not going to punch him in the face. I'll never be in a position to do so. But he is amazingly unlikable, like over the top unlikable. It was, I I think that's one of those, uh, you know, there's a guy in every sport, right? NBA, NFL, soccer players, football players that that you love when he's on your team. And he is the worst thing in the world when he's on someone else's team. That speech that he gave and all of that stuff that definitely struck me as that something where Oregon fans see that and love it and everyone else sees it for just kind of how hypocritical the whole thing was. The one thing I love the Ryan day stuff, the Dan landing stuff, we can finally get out in the open that coaches have been lying forever. When they talk about, we don't listen to the media. We don't look at that. We don't look at that. These guys are consumed by it, consumed by what people are saying about their programs and all of that. That's what struck me about it was kind of how hypocritical that was of that team's been getting all this attention and we don't care about that. Oh, by the way, please give us lots of attention. Uh, I think we're in the era where we don't disguise anything anymore. You just tell it like it is. Um, All right. What about number seven, Washington at Arizona 7 p.m. Pac-12 Network, Washington, 18-point favorite. Chris, what do you think? You know, I would have I would have said last week that I think Arizona can make it interesting, but Arizona was so bad last week. Washington doesn't rush the passer very well. Arizona, I like Arizona's quarterback. They're playing at home. It'll be a raucous atmosphere. Could Arizona give them a game for a half? Yeah, they, they they might do that, but but Washington will win the game comfortably. Eric, look, Arizona's bad. Arizona's bad. They should have lost at Mississippi State. They weren't good in any of their wins. They probably should have lost at Stanford, which is unbelievable. Their run right now, they have to play Washington at USC at Washington State against Oregon State and then UCLA. Like they they could be run out of the conference if they keep playing the way they're playing. That looked like a sneaky kind of thing right before Notre Dame. I mean, Arizona doesn't worry me as much as Cal at this point. I mean, it, it's it's surprising the way they've played early on. So this was the trip, right? Washington at Arizona State last year where they got tripped up and funky stuff always happens in the desert, it seems like, at, at this time of year. Um, Arizona has not been good. So I, I could see Washington going in there and kind of doing whatever they want. 
if Washington gets out to a twenty-one nothing first quarter, they'll they'll score fifty plus points. I'm I'm picking Washington in a in a laugher. Uh, I think Arnett, that's often the case, Greg. When teams get out to a twenty-one nothing lead in the first quarter, it's not uncommon to score fifty. I'm glad I have your support on that. I was a little concerned. <laughs> okay. I was a little concerned. Uh, if they Arnett, jump out to a sixty to nothing halftime lead, I think they'll get to seventy. <laughs> Our national well, see, that that probably doesn't happen as much. I can see a foot coming all the way off the gas, finishing yeah. with 66 or something. <laughs> all right. Our national games pick of the week, number 12, LSU at number 15, Ole Miss, 3 p.m. ESPN. LSU is a two and a half point favorite. Uh, Chris, what's happening in this one? I think both of these teams are overrated. And, and frankly, I don't think either one of them is very good. Um. Ole Miss is at home. I'm going to go Ole Miss, but again, I I don't think either one of these teams is particularly good. Eric, I I mean it's exactly what I was going to say. It it bothers me that both these teams are ranked where they are to the point where I don't want to give an answer. The these are two teams where their best win is a loss this year, and they have no business being over a bunch of teams that that they're ranked over right now. Um, I don't like either coach. I can't stand Kelly, and I don't like Kiffin. So I guess, well, which one do I dislike the most? Uh, I think I, I don't like Kiffin more than I dislike Kelly, so – I'm gonna I'm gonna go with LSU on a just a strictly personality basis. But can I can I ask you why that is? Kiffin's at least funny. Kelly has no redeeming quality that I can see. Well, I, I'm glad you asked me that question. I'd be disappointed if you hadn't. Uh, Kelly, I see as like a bad fart. Okay, uh, Kelly. No, that's you don't have to explain that. That's that's understandable. <laughs> Kelly is like a hardcore old school former linebacker in college type of coach. Uh, he has to really push it to try to be funny, and and he's not. Uh, like the little dance step thing that he did when he first took the job at LSU, and that fake accent. You remember that fake accent he put on when he was? I mean, I've never heard anything. Wait, wait, wait. that was that was a fake accent. I thought that was his real accent. Okay, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> back from when he grew up in the Bayou. No, of it's, course. Kelly is Kelly's an awful human being. Kiffin, Kiffin, I find entertaining. I, I, I definitely like Kiffin more than I like uh, Brian Kelly. I'm not surprised. Uh, having but, to ha- having had having had to cover uh, Kiffin, uh, I, I will keep my mouth shut. Let's. Put uh, I got to say though, Kif- Kiffin's a little bit in danger of becoming, you know, the the sideshow and and maybe not a great coach if if he doesn't win more. But I. The old Miss Alabama lead up. I think that I honestly think it is unbelievable the way he is able to throw shots at Nick Saban and the the way nobody else can or dares to or does. I mean, it, it's like that kind of nephew uncle relationship that they have. But saying flat out, we don't think his defensive coordinator is calling plays saying like, yeah, this is probably the last time he's going to coach in this game like that. I don't I think I don't know if he thought they would win that game. I think maybe he thought they'd do better than they did. But those two things are just I mean, it it's it's perfect. And I get it. If you don't like him, you don't like those things. But the way he can go at Saban the way nobody else 
like dares to is is always funny to me. He he says more entertaining things than any coach in the country now that the pirate is gone, right? I mean, it wasn't close between the pirate and everybody else, but now that he's gone, I think Kiffin says more entertaining things than anybody. All right, which is a great transition to number 11, Notre Dame. At number 17, Duke, 4.30 p.m., ABC, Notre Dame, five-point favorite. Chris, who wins it? This is a... This is a trap game if I ever saw one. I mean, the Irish, the Irish had their hearts ripped out. They played an unbelievably physical football game. Um, now they have to they have to travel, play on the road against an upstart program that they don't respect. And I know Marcus Freeman is going to be telling them how good Duke is. And he's going to be talking about Duke beating Clemson. And Notre Dame does not think that Duke is any good. And I know they don't. Um, I think Notre Dame pulls it out, but it would not surprise me if Duke goes into that fourth quarter with a lead. Yikes. Eric? Yeah, I mean, I agree with all that. Duke has the win over Clemson. We know Clemson is not not great. And then Duke has played three garbage teams since then, but they haven't given up more than 14 points in a game all season. And they're going to give... Notre Dame a game again I think this is just like we find out if Deion Sanders is like a good coach if he can rally Colorado after what happened I I think this is kind of a a sense of Marcus Freeman like what he can get out of his team after that game I could see this being something where you know how college football goes you root for the underdog and you're you're all in on Duke late and then they do something to mess it up and Notre Dame escapes with a win in this one well, I think Notre Dame uh, is going to bring it to Duke. Although I think if Deion Sanders wasn't the story in Colorado, I'm not so sure Duke might not be, uh, the, maybe not the darlings of the country, but certainly a story that they're more than just basketball. Uh, but I think Notre Dame is going to win by more than uh, five points. It may go into the fourth quarter, could. Uh, but I think in the end, the Irish are going to get on track get back on the winning thing and start preparing uh, for USC. Um, okay. Our Cardinal and gold pick number uh, eight USC at number 19, Colorado, 9 a.m. Pacific time on Fox. SC is a 24 point favorite. Chris, are they going to outdo 24 points? Yeah, they're going to blow their doors off. Colorado will, Colorado will make some plays. They'll score some points, but USC's offense is go you're going to see a completely different group with a completely different mindset than you saw last week. USC's offense is going to light them up. And I could easily see this being a 56 to 24 type game. Eric. Yeah, all of that. I I think they get to, to 24. It's interesting too, because when USC goes on the road in conference, you have that smaller group. So you don't have, a ton of walk-ons and and all the true freshmen to throw in there. So you've still you've still got. I mean, even if you get that big lead, you still got guys out there playing late into into games and in, in that. So I don't think you're going to have that uh, fall off. You know, if if you run up to to a big lead early on, but it would be it would be more alarming than what we saw at Arizona State 
it would be more alarming if if they did the same thing against Colorado. That would be a real sign that uh, that was not correctable, which is is a problem for for what's coming up. I think the real question is if SC is winning by more than twenty four points, will the fans at Folsom Field, the Colorado fans, actually stay to the end, or will will we see the emptying of Folsom Field? which would be an embarrassment for Deion Sanders' uh, program to see them just say, we, we don't need to watch any more of this. So I, I'll pick SC by more than 24 points. I don't know if the, the avalanche will come early or will come in the second half, but it's coming. All right. Overtime. Viewer questions and panel answers. Uh, it's time to answer some viewer questions from the We Are SC members premium message board. This is an open forum, so panel, feel free to jump right in with your answers. There's a lot of questions. If we have already answered one of them, we'll just move on. But we want to recognize those people that were kind enough to uh, write in. Question one from B. Davis 711 from Irvine, California. <laughs> now that CU has had their pants pulled down and taking the butt whipping like they stole something, do you all think our game next week will look any different than their game versus Horgan? I, I think we already talked. I think we already talked about what's going to happen. Yep, I think so. So let's uh, move on to question two from Poobah. If Big Bang forbid the unthinkable happens and USC loses to Colorado next week, can we fans get some assurance that Grinch will be left in Boulder or perhaps Denver? I'm not touching that. Okay, I didn't quite. No, hear he's you. he's the coordinator. He's. I mean, they're just. There's not going to be. I cannot imagine a scenario where there's a mid-season change at defensive coordinator for USC this year. I don't think we're going to see a Lane Kiffin tarmac uh, reenactment. Let's put it that way. Question three from Bobby. Tee it up. Will USC have a viewing of Shadour's Rolls-Royce before the game? This is a good question. It, it depends on the Fox pregame show, which is going to be, uh, again, originating from Boulder. I would think not, but anything's possible. Comments? Anything that anything that helps irritate Caleb Williams even more than he's probably <laughs> already irritated is good for me. So yeah, I, I hope he I hope they drive it around the field during warm-ups. I think Maybe that's the difference, right? Like it's it's the uh like if you know what kind of car someone drives and you don't know what kind of car someone else drives, like that the the one you don't know is probably better than the one you do know about. I think they I think, just... I think Caleb's doing just fine. I think I don't think I I think Caleb probably has maybe a couple. I think they should junk and keep Ralphie the Buffalo in his stall. And the team should be let out with uh, Shadur driving his Rolls Royce around the field, and the the uh, fans and cheerleaders following him. I would uh, like, you know, like the like the old bullpen carts and ba- exactly. something like that with Ralphie, right? Like like dressed up like that, just a <laughs> buffalo kind of driving down the down down the Boulder highways. It'd be a good luck. Good luck with that. Uh, question four from JCW USC from Palm Desert. Panel, if USC didn't hire Lincoln Riley, would it ever been a consideration to go after Deion Sanders? Had he expected interest in the head coach position? Comment? Zero I chance mean, could, USC would have done that. Could you imagine the outrage 
that that would have come after after all of the stuff where USC was hiring people who were not qualified, who didn't have the track record, all of that to go after a coach who had never done it. Uh, no, that that would not that would not have happened. And I'm not saying that he was a bad hire for everybody. Colorado, there there were a handful of schools where that is that absolutely makes sense. USC was was not one of the schools where it made sense, I think. No way. They weren't going to hire him, with all due respect to uh, prime time. Question five from Big Daddy. And as aggressive as Pete, as, 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 I assume he's talking about Pete Carroll, liked to be when calling the defense, even he admitted he should have spent more time rushing only four and daring Vince. I guess that's Vince Evans. Or that's Vince Young. Too, too, I'm dating myself. Vince Young to throw or having that extra defender back to help tackle against the run in the Texas game. Caleb shredded the blitz in the Stanford game. Is there a case to be made that a more conservative defensive play calling, especially in the third and long, or when SC obviously has more talent on the field, would see better results to give the defense credit? They have looked better every week. Comment? I think Chris, is Chris, big is Big Daddy asking us what we think opposing defenses should do against Caleb Williams? I think Big Daddy says what Big or, Daddy or, 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 or what USC should be doing. I think it's what USC should be doing. I think he's giving examples of when you bring a blitz and bring extra. The the fact that Caleb Williams does so well against the blitz. The fact that when when you bring extra defensive players, uh, it tends to allow for big plays for the offense. I think that's the question. Yeah. I would like to see USC play more disciplined-based defense because I think they have good enough athletes that they're still going to get some stops and it would and and we'd give up less big plays. Um that being said, the fact that Caleb shredded the blitz against Stanford doesn't really have any bearing on what our defense does because Caleb's going to shred lots of teams under lots of different circumstances. There's a reason that he is being talked about as the as the best NFL prospect since uh, uh, since Andrew Luck and maybe even before that. I always love looking at Caleb's numbers when they're broken down against the rush or against the blitz, under pressure, on the run, whatever they are, and every one of them is like nine of eleven for two hundred and forty yards and two touchdowns. Like it just it doesn't matter what you do against him. I will say I look back at the eight sacks against Arizona State. And it's always tough because you can have like a like a delayed blitz. You can have something where there's a spy who crashes early or is, you know, in charge of the running back and ends up kind of looking like he's blitzing. So it's hard to always say exactly how many guys are coming. But looking at it, it sure looked like on on seven of the eight USC rushed either three or four. And that was it. And there were some where like Taggett Curtis got two sacks and it seemed like that was kind of a spy where he kind of rushed late, but not a designed blitz. The only one that looked like it was five, it looked like Eric Gentry was coming from the outside, but again, like picked up a, the tight end and, and didn't go on a full blitz. So it may have been eight out of eight sacks were just on three or, or four man rush. So what, once you prove you can do it, once you prove you can get pressure like that with those four, there are times where it doesn't bring it because the the ones that really get me 
are the ones where you bring a safety or a corner and you try to disguise it and they're coming from like 12 yards deep and they don't even get to the line of scrimmage because right now you just, you run offenses where your quarterback doesn't have, you know, Caleb holds the ball for eight seconds and nine seconds because that's what he can do back there. But that ball's coming out. It's coming out. And so when when one or two of your defenders, all they do in a given play is blitz from 12 yards and get seven yards away from the quarterback, those are tough to see kind of happen happen repeatedly when those keep coming up. All right, question six from SC, the one from the OC <clears throat> panel. Will SC beat Notre Dame? Will they outrush the Irish? Will Caleb throw four touchdowns or more TDs? Will Zachariah take one to the house? Okay, I say the game is a toss-up as of today. The Irish will outrush the Trojans. Caleb probably will throw four, at least four touchdown passes. Uh, will Zachariah take one to the house? I would say uh, possibly. Uh, thoughts? It's too We're early. early on it's this. too early, SC, the one. We're early. I'm saving I'm saving my uh, USC Notre Dame talk for two weeks. Don't right. try to rush it. Don't rush this. <laughs> uh, question seven from Scott in Gilbert, Arizona. Got to see my first live game this season at ASU. My question is, if you had to walk down a dark alley and you could only take one player with you, who would it be? I'm torn between Bear Alexander and Shane Lee. Uh, I would take Bear Alexander personally, but uh, what what who would work well for you guys? Zachariah Branch. I'm going to jump on his back and tell him to run. <laughs> See, I don't, I don't think you're quick enough to do that. I think he's gone before you even know what's going on, <laughs> which is why I would not take him. You, I'm trying to figure out if there's someone that I'm faster than, because really that's the only answer, right? It's just who I, I line everybody up and run. There's probably nobody, honestly. So so I'll go with, with Bear Alexander. I think that's probably a, a good choice. All right, question eight for I Bob. think I'm outrunning Dennis Lynch. I think I can outrun Dennis Lynch. That's quite Dennis, if, you're, if you're listening, that's a that's an official challenge. But I again, think I all he's got he trips you though. And and you're down, and that's it. I mean, I just yeah. I've thought about this a lot. There, there's there's no <laughs> great answer, honestly. All right, question eight from Bobby Tee it up in Rancho Mirage. Uh, other than the W, was there anything accomplished at ASU? I saw a step backwards on defense, a receiver who can't catch, lost linebackers, mindless penalties, wasted timeouts, poor play calling, or was this just a Clay Helton flashback? I think we have gone over this. But that's exactly what was accomplished. That was what it was accomplished. The idea that you were going to beat every single team on this schedule by 42 points was not going to happen. You got to see this. You got to see struggle. You got to see what it looks like. I, I think you need that. I think you need the adversity and all of that stuff. It's not great. You don't love it. You don't love it when it's happening and and you think it shouldn't have happened. But you do need that stuff to kind of fall back on and see and and figure out what works and and what doesn't work. I, I think you need stuff like this during a season. I I do. Again, it, it absolutely was a step back from how they played against Stanford, how things were tracking, all of that. This is a step back. As long as you can win those games, I think it's okay. I think I think it's okay to have this stuff early. Question nine from Trojans. 2021 in Chicago. When I watch the replay of some of our games, offensively, there's one thing that stands out when the opposing offenses play in 10 or 11 personnel, we do very well. But when they play against 12 or 13 personnel, we struggle. 
these next few weeks are not going to test us with their tight ends. But how concerned are you for ND and Utah games based on what those teams like to do? Comment? Is Cameron Rising going to play? Because if Cameron Rising's not going to play, USC is going to stomp Utah into the dirt. They can't score points. Not even against USC can they score points. If Cam Rising plays, then I'm worried about Utah. Notre Dame, look, I'm not I'm not sold that teams that use tight ends are our teams are going to dominate USC, uh USC's defense. USC's defense actually played the run very well against Notre Dame last year, surprisingly. And I suspect they will again this year. Um, but um, you know, other than that, I, I think I've ranted enough about USC's defense today. Colorado's uh, got a Colorado's got a tight end. I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't just skip them. They've got a tight end that they throw to quite a bit. Good point. Uh, question 10. We got two left here. Guys from Trojan from the Valley panel. Another game with too many missed tackles and too many penalties. If you were the head coach, how would you address these lingering issues? I will answer first. Um, one or two ways. Either the players, uh, I assume they get taught the fundamentals. That would be ludicrous to think that they don't. But how do you address these lingering issues? You tell them, either you tackle the way we want you to tackle, or we're going to put somebody else who will do it. Because uh, if we're going to go down with the ship, we're going to go down doing the things that we taught and the right thing to do. Guys, any comments? The only other comment I'd make is keep in mind that a lot of times missed tackles are caused by being out of position. Um, not always. Sometimes you're there and the guy just runs through runs through your tackle. But a lot of times it's because you're a step late and and you end up trying to arm tackle or or, or you're not um, you're not filling the hole quickly enough. And and now the running back has a lot more uh, a lot more space to put a move on you. So sometimes sometimes the problem isn't the tackle itself. It's everything that led up to the tackle. Um, and, and so I, and I think there's some issues going on there where USC is, uh, uh, is especially in the run game is just creating too much space, making it difficult to tackle guys in that space. And it's tough at this point, like you're not going to, especially with what USC's schedule is right now, going forward, you're, you're just not going to have full contact tackling, take everybody down practices. Teams do not, and then this is across the board, teams do not tackle constantly once the season starts. It just does not happen. So at this point, there's not an answer that I'm sure fans want to hear, which is like, oh, tackle every day throughout the week until you're good at it. This is stuff you do in spring ball and, and fall camp. So at this point, that's it. The disappointing tackling thing was, the, I mean, the one that stands out more than anything else was the one Chris talked, the, the 42-yard touchdown that's a fourth and seven where Eric Gentry is flying out. That That's a turnover, right? If you go fully at him and just knock him out of bounds before the sticks, that that's an interception. That's a fumble. That's a turnover on fourth down. And to have it look so much like the Utah play in the conference championship game last year, where you have him on the sideline and then you can make a tackle later downfield and the guy ends up in the end zone. Those are, those are flashback things. It happens to teams but that specific one just sticks out so much. And the penalties are just that that's head stuff. That's the false starts and things like that. The offensive pass interference that takes a penalty away. That's something where I think 
I think Taj Washington gets flagged for that. I think that Zachariah Branch on taking his route too deep and past the line of scrimmage. If he catches the, that behind the line of scrimmage, then Taj could block. I think that I think that was the play there. So it's just little things like that, right? Like Chris said, when you you see something and it looks like it's this and and maybe it's something else, it's kind of across the board with with just kind of locking in mentally, being in a better spot, being being a little more focused with that. And it's what I went back to on on the last couple of questions ago, where you have to see it play out a little bit, and you have you have to take those lumps in game, and maybe that's the thing that fixes it. All right, our final question I think is actually a very good question. It's very pointed, specific. This is from Boulder to Birmingham from Saint George, Utah. Uh, these will probably seem like redundant questions, but I will ask anyway hoping for some insight. So here we go. Why did we see so little of Shane Lee, Keon Barnes, and most importantly, Rajon Davis? Our LB play was poor. Marshawn Lloyd averaged 11 yards a carry. So why didn't we run the ball with him more, especially considering our inability to close out drives in the second half? And we might have the best receiving room in the country, yet we keep targeting Mario Williams, who is good for about two drops a game. Any thoughts? Sorry for the rant, but watching that game was worse than being waterboarded. Thanks for all you do. So guys, have at it. I'd watch that game rather than get waterboarded, I think. I think so. I think it would have been a worse Saturday. I think if I had been waterboarded last Saturday, that would have been a worse night. I mean, I didn't enjoy it, but it would have been worse. Uh, Look, the USC coaches expected Mason Cobb to be a really productive player. And I and I suspect everybody, including Mason Cobb, was a little bit surprised by how the season has played out so far. Um, I, I don't know that they're going to give up on him yet. But uh, to play that many plays and have one tackle uh, when, you're, when you're that guy and you have his resume and his expectations – is uh is pretty disappointing so we'll see we'll see what comes of it one thing that's interesting is how usc fans on most teams a backup quarterback is the most popular guy in the team here it is the backup linebacker rajon davis is on a team with caleb williams rajon davis is most usc fans favorite player i'm all in favor of rajon davis if he gets in the game playing extraordinarily well uh and 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 the linebacker play has been has been less than what uh, what I would want it to be. Rayshon Davis also has five tackles this year and didn't get played by the last staff either. The idea that the problem with this defense, right? You know, more cowbell, more Rayshon Davis is the answer. Maybe if he plays, I hope he's fantastic. I have nothing against him, but I think what we're going to see a linebacker is I think Mason Cobb is going to play better than he has. I think he's going to be more the player they expected to get. Tackett Curtis will continue to improve um, by leaps and bounds as the season goes on because he hasn't played. I mean, he's barely played. He hasn't played college football. He's barely played linebacker. He's immensely talented. He's going to get better as the year goes on. And Eric Gentry is going to continue to get better as the year goes on because he also was slowed down by injuries and hasn't played much. I think those are your three guys. 
And and I think I think you're, they're going to ride with those three guys, and I think they're going to play. I think all three of them are going to get better and better uh, as the weeks go on. I hope Marshawn Lloyd stud and fantastic at setting up blocks. That guy is a really good football player. I, the Marshawn Lloyd thing that sticks out was that Kyle McDonald was asked before the season started. Right, USC does that like media day asked if there was anything about some of the running backs that that maybe he didn't know when he was recruiting them or or just watching film or anything and he talked about how quick Marshawn Lloyd is right not not long speed or any of that but just how explosive how agile how quick he is and that is to to see a guy like that built like that in the upper body where his legs can move so quickly and he can change direction like that it's it's it is really impressive what he can do uh, right there. I I think that it was interesting. Lincoln Riley was asked about that. Could you have, could you have gone to Marshawn Lloyd more? This was the first game that any USC running back had more than nine carries this year, and Marshawn Lloyd ended up with fourteen. Which going from nine to fourteen is is thirty five back you know thirty years ago. I mean that that was. A load. I think you could have gone 20 to him. You could have, you definitely could have gone more. And we hit on that earlier. And Lincoln Riley said that was kind of the la- his last little comment about that when he talked about it was, you know, yeah, you could make the argument that, that we should have gone to him more. And I don't know, again, offense right now is you can call a run play as a coach and see it turn into a pass play out on the field, right? I mean, it, you, you never totally know what you send in, how the defense is going to look, what the quarterback's going to see. And and when you have Caleb, you put that trust in him to make those calls. So it's always tough to know exactly what gets sent in, what gets run, what they're seeing, what that, what that conversation looks like. Uh, I think when push comes to shove, Marshawn Lloyd's going to be a guy that they rely on. And I'm glad you said that about Ray John Davis, because that's what I've felt about the whole thing. Just the fact that he's, he seems like the answer to so many USC fans right now. And again, Lincoln Riley talked about in the offseason, if it's 50-50, if we're going to play you, then it's on us to make that decision. And that's what it feels like right now. It feels like for the coaches, Rajon Davis and Shane Lee are clearly options four and five. And we don't see everything that happens in practice. We're not in the meetings but there's obviously something there where the coaches feel comfortable with those three guys that they're rotated. Cause I was surprised in that game, especially kind of late once you did get the two score lead and, and all of that, I was surprised that, that nothing for, for Rajon Davis and Shane Lee, that, that surprised me that they went on that trip and didn't take a defensive snap, especially when, when Mason Cobb took so many, uh, I, but I, I think that that's what it is. I think the coaches have that trust that those guys they're playing are, are going to do what they want. I think maybe Keon Bars falls in that category too uh, of the coaches clearly like what Stanley Tofu brings to that defensive line, um, that he's going to make the right decisions, that he's going to be in the right places. And I don't know how many games you know you see where those results are like that, but the decision on on playing time a lot is made kind of going into the game and and put a plan together for how things are going to play out and and who you want out there on the field. 
The Mario thing is he's open and you don't have 15 slot receivers right now. I mean, you've got, you've got three, you got Zachariah branch who you obviously saw, they want to put him everywhere, right? He lined up as an H back. He lined up as a running back. They moved him around and you've got Taj Washington and you've got Mario Williams. When Mario Williams is on the field, he gets open a lot. He doesn't drop everything. He's there. I mean, you, you give him, you give him chances. I'm curious as, as Makai Lemon gets more healthy and more involved in things. And then you've got like McCree too, who can give you that, those kind of slot reps if, if you split him out and, and do all of that. If the drops keep coming for Mario, I can see them, them eat into his, his reps a little bit. But the guy, I mean, he caught 40 passes last year. He's been kind of a, a go to. I think maybe you let him dig himself out of it and, and keep playing. Uh, I don't, you know, I'm not in practice. Nobody's in practice, basically. Uh, we're not in film rooms. Uh, but it's hard to imagine that Rajon Davis, who has looked productive when he's been in there, would not get one snap. Uh, Shane Lee's the captain of the team. He didn't get in one snap. Keon Barnes, I think, started off with something like 29 snaps in the first game, and he was down to nine. So there's something there that uh, is transpiring. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd, why didn't he carry the ball more? Because Lincoln Riley didn't want him to carry the ball more. Because who's the offensive coordinator and play caller? Lincoln Riley. Now, does that mean that uh, you know that uh, you know he Riley doesn't want him to do it? But here's what I do know: anytime you have a head coach that's a former quarterback, especially somebody who was uh, tutored by Mike Leach. They want to throw the ball. And in SC's case, they have a great generational player in Caleb Williams. The question is, is saying after the fact, we probably should have run the ball more. Well, the answer is because you didn't want to run the ball more. That's the answer. Uh, whether that changes, we'll see in the future. I have some trepidation about Mario Williams. Uh, he does get open, but See, since he's been at USC, uh, he has dropped balls, and a lot of them are wide open passes, whether it's concentration or he's got happy feet, I don't know. But the bottom line is you either you catch him or you don't catch him. And we'll see, uh, you know, Eric says maybe he can dig himself out of it. Well, then it comes down to the question of how long you let him try to dig himself out of it. Maybe if Makai Lemon was uh, uh, ready to go healthier, uh, maybe he would catch the balls that Mario Williams drops. We don't know yet, and that's something to keep an eye on. A reminder, if you have a question or comments for our panel, go to the WeRSE message board, click on the thread that pertains to Inside the Trojan Subtle, viewer or listener questions. Once again, if you've enjoyed Inside the Trojan Subtle, please click on the like and red subscriber buttons. We greatly appreciate your support. Be sure to check out WeRSE.com, become a premium subscriber. Uh, that'll do it for Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle. Reminder to watch four downs on Friday and five things on YouTube shortly after following Saturday's uh, morning's game with Colorado. So uh, next, until next Tuesday when we review Colorado game, preview the, uh, the Arizona game, present a new Big Ten lightning round, and all things USC football. A big thank you again to our all-star panelists, Eric McKinney and Chris Arledge. And a special big thank you to all of you for watching or listening to Inside the Trojans Huddle. Have a great week. Beat the Buffaloes. Until next Tuesday, this is your moderator, Greg Katz, reminding you all to 
Fight on, everybody.